Welcome to the next episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna. We've both taken a, a little bit of vacation since our last episode. While I was in Mexico, absolutely nothing happened. Then Matt goes to San Diego, and there's a new college football playoff. So congratulations, Matt, on uh, being out of town as the our entire sport has blown up. First vacation in well over a year. <laughs> well, my last vacation was January 2020, which I remember specifically because I was in Southern California when Kobe Bryant died, and I'm thinking, geez, like, of all the things that happen when I'm in Southern California trying to turn it off for a bit. And then uh, you go away in the middle of June, which historically has been a pretty quiet time of the year for college football. Uh, and this year isn't for recruiting reasons. And now with the playoff, it's, it's you know, uh, these guys are all meeting in Chicago here. I'm going to see them later this week, all the commissioners, to talk about this. And I don't know what else there is to talk about because they decided to rush this thing up a week in advance, which was a pleasant surprise. And we will talk plenty about that. But, um, uh, I, for one, am very happy to see the way this thing has played out. Yeah, I am too. We'll get into sort of Notre Dame's roster moves, more grad transfer than recruiting, but a little bit of that too. But, I mean, the the playoff is everything, right? Like that's – I thought Nicole Arbach had a good story today just about is it too much of a – too much of everything in it from a media perspective. Um, I like Matt Brown's sort of take on just how historically – oxygen sucking Alabama and Clemson are today as top five teams it's it is unprecedented that you would have two teams running on parallel tracks like this at the same time Um, but I mean as far as Notre Dame goes I thought that the the reaction to it I mean my initial one was like the first one was the buy and not getting that you're like okay that's a little bit uncomfortable I probably need to take a second to think through all the the ins and out the this but I mean, overall, as I wrote, like Notre Dame wins more in this than they lose, which isn't to say they won everything and lost nothing. I mean, there's overall, this is a net positive, clearly, for Notre Dame, but that doesn't mean it's uh, 100% moving in a, good, in a good way if you're Notre Dame football. Yeah, my first reaction was the same as yours, and granted, I was kind of getting this, like, not exactly in real time because I was on the beach, <laughs> but... Seeing it all after, I'm like, wait, why would Notre Dame do that? Wait, Jack Swarbrick was one of the four guys who really built this thing. Obviously, he knows what he's doing. And then when you, you hear the rationale, well, we're not in a conference championship game, um, so we're, we're, we're going to be fresher and we'll have the home game and so forth. It makes sense. I still don't know, though, where I come down on it as far as whether this is a good or bad thing for Notre Dame. Obviously, a good thing with the expanded playoff because there's more access. And when you go back and do the math – Throughout uh, many years in the Brian Kelly era, like Notre Dame would have been in this thing uh, a lot more than it has in the four-team playoff era. That being said, I, when you see it in print, like number five Notre Dame in 2020, number five Notre Dame in 2018, when they were number three in 2018 and number four in 2020, and you skip that by, like that to me registered a lot more than the idea of Notre Dame not being a top four, not finishing as a top four team when they go undefeated because they've gone gone undefeated three times now under Brian Kelly in the regular season, which definitely guarantees you a top a top four seed and usually guarantees you a number one, number two, or number three seed. And I know you're you know you're playing the number twelve seeds. So you're not playing an Alabama or a Clemson in most years, but I just 
I, I think at some point the idea of we want to be an independent, strong national university versus we want to compete for and win national championships on the football football field become a lot less complimentary and a lot more conflicting when you see this thing play out, especially if we find a scenario or multiple scenarios in the coming years where Notre Dame does finish as the only undefeated team in the country and is number one or number two and doesn't get the benefits of that. Well, I mean, don't you don't you think if Notre Dame had done more in the playoff or had more sort of dominant undefeated seasons that they they would have had more ground to stand on here to say the bye needs to be part of it. I just I think the way Notre Dame has is viewed as a playoff team, you know, getting blown out by Clemson, getting blown out by Alabama in the national championship game like and even the Alabama game last year was not a game you felt like Notre Dame was going to win like I don't think Notre Dame has a whole lot of evidence to say like no we we do deserve special treatment because we have been so good um that I think Notre Dame's undefeated seasons based on their their playoff performance do feel a little bit less than um and I think it's worth like the the idea of Notre Dame getting a bye what would it take for Notre Dame to get a bye they would have to beat Clemson in the ACC championship game we already saw that happen once um and they got got absolutely played off the field. So even last year, when Notre Dame was a conference team, they wouldn't have got a bye, and they would have they would have been the fifth ranked team. Even though in the playoff, obviously they ranked four because they made it. Um, so it's I just don't I think the odds of Notre Dame or getting a bye as a conference team if they had joined the ACC are so low that it's it's not worth sort of flittering away your independence over this. I, to me, this one of the, the sort of hidden wins in here is that Notre Dame's position as an independent is stronger today than it was about a week and a half ago. Uh, and if, if I was the ace, to me, the ACC is one of the big losers in all this because the, the best leverage you have to force Notre Dame to join is you can't make it in the playoff. And now Notre Dame has a better chance to make it in the playoff without going all in with the league. They have a better chance of making the playoff. I just wonder if their ability to win a national championship is hindered. I mean, I just think for so long, independence was, and I don't. I say this complimentary. I don't say this to be critical, but everyone hated Notre Dame for their independence because it was very much a, you know, take your cake and eat it too kind of deal for Notre Dame. They got to do whatever they want, whenever they wanted, and they don't get to do that right now. So if you're conceding some points, some competitive points, by being an independent, and you're you're actually are doing that. That's when I take a step back and wonder, you know, what what's really in it for Notre Dame from an independent standpoint. I get, I mean, you and I, you especially, have written some really in depth articles that perfectly explain away why this is so important to them. But I do wonder as we move forward in this country, in this world, like I don't think Notre Dame joining the ACC tomorrow would be any less attractive of a university to people in Florida, in California in Texas, all over the country. I think they'd be able to recruit from a student population standpoint, whoever they want. I think from an academic standpoint, prestige-wise, it'd be every bit as good and, and as, as um, unattainable, if you will, as it is right now. I, I, I just think this could be the first step of many steps that eventually make this ACC and D marriage full-time. And I say that because... Jim Phillips is a new AD at, at the ACC who knows Notre Dame very well, who has the relationships there, who knows his number one, frankly, only priority right now is getting the ACC out of that 
terrible TV deal they're in right now. And the only way you do that is by expanding. And what better brand to expand with to get a better deal than Notre Dame? And I also think the scheduling standpoint, it you know, hypothetically, I think a lot of these teams could say, join us right now or you're on your own. And look, look right now, like most of these teams are scheduled through 2040 in some cases. Like I know you could get out of those contracts 20 years ahead of time, but I just think at some point it no longer becomes a, a, a distinction. It becomes a bit of a hindrance from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, I mean, AC, the ACC is not going to play hardball with Notre Dame over this. Like, they're, I think there's there's too much good that Notre Dame brings to the league to sort of make um, great the enemy of good if you're if you're the league. Um, but there's no question like that league would make a heck of a lot more money on their next media rights deal if Notre Dame was playing conference championship eligibility and sort of a full conference schedule. I just I. You know, having covered Notre Dame forever uh, and covered last year, and not seeing USC or Michigan or Premier home and home with Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, no Navy on there, no Stanford on there. I, I just feel like you look at Notre Dame's schedule, and it's that that while the university, I don't think would be diminished by joining the league. Um, I do think the sort of the reach of the football program and, and what makes it distinct, what makes it unique would really fall away. Um, and I, I think that's that's something worth protecting. I, I think that what would prompt Notre Dame to go all in is if what you're saying came to pass multiple times. Um, that not just, and I'm saying like not just the four, not just if they finished third or fourth and they had to be the fifth seed, we would have to be talking about Notre Dame as 12-0 and 0 as the fifth seed. I don't, and I'm saying like Notre Dame number one, like as if, if Notre Dame on paper looked as good as Clemson, looked as good as Ohio State, looked as good as Alabama, um, they are a long way from that right now. So it's, I think, in, in some ways, for Notre Dame to convince itself, like, no, we need to sort of cut out this this extra game and drive a harder bargain, play in a conference championship game that we have a chance of winning. Um, to me, that that uh, that's more a Brian Kelly problem to solve than a Jack Swarbrick problem to solve because it involves like enhancing your roster in a way that Notre Dame is trying to do right now. Well, that's one guy I'd love to hear from. Yes, me too. Came from, I mean, I don't think, I don't think he's upset about it. I don't think he's happy about it um, because this is one more, one more hurdle I think to climb in in future years to, to win a national championship. I just, everything you said is true. I don't disagree with any of it. I, 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 other than the part, like, I just don't think, I don't know if that football program would be quite as demand. Like I just think, growing up and following college football and covering this program on a day to day basis for, for for six years uh, when I was at ESPN, like the independence to me was like so cool. Like oh, they get to do this, they get to do that. They like and no one can do a damn thing about it because they're Notre Dame yeah. and they've got the money and they've got the fan base. And I just don't know if that, like I just don't know if they have that kind of freedom right now. I feel like this is almost a concession to that kind of freedom and it makes you peel back a little bit and ask some questions about, you know, what really are the pros and cons of doing this? I just don't think in 2021 and beyond, it's nearly as beneficial as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, really throughout the history of the entire There's Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, maybe it's the same thing as having the NBC contract. Like, 
you know, when it happened at the time, nobody else had anything similar to it. It really distinguished Notre Dame in some massive ways from everybody else where they could sort of pick and choose players from all across the country. Um, now everybody's on TV. I'm not saying now everybody's independent, but everybody has the same access to the college football playoff, which is, I think, ultimately what is what's kind of driving the bus here. I, You know, one thing that you, when you talk about the extra game, there are a couple things that I, I think are worth considering here. Well, three things probably. One, if you're the five seed, these are your 12 seeds that you would have played in the playoff era at home. Boise State, Houston, Western Michigan, UCF, Penn State, Memphis, Coastal Carolina. I don't, you know, we're not talking about elite competition there in game one. The second thing is when you move on to the quarters as the five seed, you're playing the four seed, which is not the fourth best team. It's the fourth highest rated conference champion. That that team could be a legit top four team. But if you go back to 2012, when Notre Dame would have been the five seed, then they would have played Florida State in the quarterfinals uh, when Notre Dame was undefeated 12-0. Florida State was actually a... I think they were ranked 13th um, at the end of the, the regular season there. They, they, but they would have been the fourth highest rated conference champion. And then I think this, this is a question that you can put to Jack Swarbrick if you run into him in Chicago sometime later this week. Like, what's the scheduling of these games? Is the, is the first round the week after conference championship week? Is it two weeks after? Is there a two-week break between the quarterfinals and the first round? Because if there's a two-week break between the first round and the quarterfinals, then I don't think that extra game really makes that big of a difference, especially if you're Notre Dame because you're already off on conference championship weekend. So it's if you have two weeks to prepare and then two weeks to recover from a home game in December against Coastal Carolina or Memphis, I don't think this is like a huge deal breaker. And I, and I also think that as much as I would love to see the quarterfinals on campus, Notre Dame has to be, is thrilled that they're not because they never have to go to Oklahoma or to Ohio State in the quarterfinals. They're, they're playing that at a neutral site in a bowl game. I'm curious. We did this when the BCS expanded the playoff. We went back you know, and saw you know, what would it have looked like this year, what would it have looked like that year, and we're doing that now. I am curious, like, how does the playoff selection committee rankings change with this new criteria because I think in BCS era you looked at the loss column that was it yep. like nothing else mattered in the playoff it was they decided to say alright it's going to be um, game control it's going to be who you beat not who you lose to like Notre Dame had some really good teams that would lose to Clemson and Sanford by two points and their best win was like Temple like so they were penalized by not having that marquee win despite looking like a damn good football team. I'm curious how that will look like moving forward, especially as it relates to the group of five, which always gets the short end of the stick. Um, like I just, I have a hard time seeing Coastal Carolina finishing that high when they're actually like, there is a consequence for finishing that high. Right. I just think the people in that room are going to find a way to, to make it fit well to be like like i don't think two group of five teams are going to make it most years even it, though that is plausible yeah i mean that last year was the only year that would have happened if you if you sort of game this out over the last decade and and last year I, I don't think the committee could have avoided it happening like there was no way to get oregon from 20 oregon messed that up yeah over pack 12 uh, messed that up yeah. usc <laughs> messed it up i mean usc well, is in the playoff if they beat oregon they are but like the, the they're supposed to play who washington they weren't yeah. supposed to play Oregon, and right. the Pac-12 says, "Ah, oh, we're going to give you Oregon, who hasn't played in two weeks, on yeah. a short short Whoops. rest for USC." Here's 
Here you go. Yeah, they would have been better off not having a game at all. But uh, yes. I I think there will be some... It will be interesting to sort of see how that's jockeyed about. But one of the Power 5 conferences would have to fall on their face so badly not to make it. And the Pac-12 can do it. Like, I believe in you, Pac-12. Um, <laughs> I do. It was a pandemic year. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean... There was, played six games. There was a year... I think there was a year if you game this out, the Big Ten wouldn't make it. Um so I think you have to go back to it was the year Wisconsin blew out Nebraska in the Big Ten oh, championship yeah, yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the third place. Wisconsin um, I team. think that was the year Ohio State was on probation as well. So even that Penn State too. Yeah, took Both a around. lot of a lot to happen. So it, you're going to have all five Power Five conference champions in. Like I, as a college football fan, independent of covering Notre Dame, like I don't know the last time I watched the Pac-12 championship game. Like I do. It's Friday night. What else is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Um, there so many other things than I it's on watch campus. Utah, Washington. Um, it, I just think that you're going to have so many more games of significance in November now that I think the the criticism that the regular season will be dismin, dismin, diminished is reversed. Like mm-hmm. I think the regular season is enhanced. Oh, it's everything we've been saying for ten years. Yeah, and the, the power I mean, brokers look, I, say no, no, no. <laughs> I I loved the the 2012 moment when. Notre Dame beats Wake Forest in the afternoon, and then Oregon loses to Stanford. Kansas State loses to Baylor. Like, you're never going to have that kind of moment again. Or I remember... You you might. The group of fives might. Yeah. To get in. But, I mean, okay. The group of fives might, which is a lot different than Oregon, Notre Dame, and... No, it is. But, like, it's like college basketball, right? Like, making the tournament. You... you theoretically wake up with a chance to win a national championship, yes. which you did not have before. It's much more of a B-side feel to it, but you're right. This, this, there are similar stakes. But like, I do remember, I think it was a Friday night game where I want to say Iowa State upset Oklahoma State. Yep. Um, and just how that like rocked everybody. Like You're not going to have that again either. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm okay with, like I miss it. It was a cool thing, but I'm okay with that not coming back in the name of this progress. But it, right. I mean, you're going to replace it with similar moments of or moments of similar stature for other programs. I mean, more of them if, and more. If, of if you're them. at Iowa State, um, North Carolina, like uh, Louisville, like fine, but not blue blood college football mm-hmm. programs. Boston College. I mean, just naming random teams here. Like what? Don't. What is the the brand and financial ramification of a program like that making the college football playoff. It's got to be off the charts. It'd be the greatest thing to ever happen. Yeah. And it's completely impossible in a four-team playoff. And I, just, I mean, look, I love the idea of somebody on the West Coast being involved. You know, it's... I, I do Someone feel, outside the South being You know, involved. like our friend Adam Rittenberg has made this point a few times. It's just like the fact that you're losing... You know, your supposed national sport is not national at all. It's regional. No. Like... College football needs to be a national sport, and I think this really helps that. Whether it's Oregon or Washington or USC or UCLA, I I do not care who it is. It just but it just needs to be somebody. There had there has to be a tent pole out there, so it's not just who are the two best teams in the SEC, Ohio State and Clemson, and then you know Notre Dame and Oklahoma are fighting to get in there too. So I think this this helps feel like a national sport will again be national. No, it, it makes it much more fun, um, and you know. I, I'm, again, I say pleasantly surprised when we talk about the playoff going from four to twelve because it took them 
what, 140 years to go from two to four? Or less of that because they couldn't even figure out how to put two in for a while before the BCS came around. And now it's just like overnight, we're going to skip the six, we're going to skip the eight, we're going to skip the 10, we're going to go right to 12. And it sounds great. And it feels like the first time, maybe in forever, where like the actual power brokers of the sport are looking out for the greater good and not just trying yes. to find their pockets and do what's best for them. I mean, look at that room. Greg Sankey, Bob Bowlesby, Jack Swarbrick, and Craig Thompson, the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, four of the most powerful people in the sport. I mean, Greg Sankey, I think, is by far the most powerful right now when you look at all the commissioner changes going elsewhere. I mean, the SEC can do whatever they want. People are going to watch. People are going to follow. They're going to win. They're going to recruit the best players. Um, and I think Bob Bowlesby alluded a little bit in the press conference last week to, like, the SEC was going to be fine no matter what. Like, we had to get them on board with what we want to do. And if you're Jack Swarbrick, if you're, you know, I mean, Greg Thompson's probably the toast of the town. Oh, yeah. Five right now for getting The biggest getting winner access. of those four, for sure. A- absolutely. Them and, them and the Pac-12. Um, I, I just think this is great for the sport. It's great for everybody. And rarely do you say that. I mean, most of the times with conference realignment, yeah, like schools are doing it for financial purposes and there's positives that come from that, but... The fans usually lose in that. You lose rivalries. You travel a lot more than you had to before. Things become much more difficult, and you lose that Monday morning office banter of uh, you know Kansas and Missouri playing in the Big Twelve or, or something like that. You lose rivalries. Uh, this feels like the opposite of that. Like this has just brought everyone together. It is just going to be really, really fun to see play out. Um, but but also Coastal Carolina at Notre Dame. Can you imagine how cool that would be for like Coastal Carolina fans or? Or anything like a game on campus, which I'd love to see the TV deals worked out with this because well, Notre Dame have oh, to play. Yeah, that's a good, I didn't even think home. about that. <laughs> like it, that, yeah. that'll play the biggest role in all of this when it's all said and done. But I, I do think there's one. I totally agree. I think one of the the shocks of this was like people in college football looking out for other people in college football because um, this sport is very tribal. It's one of the things that makes it great. Uh, it's also one of the things that can make it dysfunctional. Uh, and in this instance, I think people sort of were able to get past the end of their own nose and see that other people matter out there. Um, I do think one of the funky unintended consequences of this, if Notre Dame is good, is how Notre Dame fans will react to like consistently playing a group of five team at home in December. Because uh, it's not, it's not going to feel like a quote-unquote playoff game. Uh, it's going to feel like the sixth most interesting game on your schedule. Um so I'm on top of the NBC, I didn't even think about that. But at, I'd be curious. Buy those tickets. That group of five. I think every group of five team will, will get behind the Coastal Carolinas of the world. Oh, or yeah. The UCFs of the world or whomever is, is playing at Notre Dame on that day. Like, they'll, they'll try to take that place over. Yeah, it just, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where you hear Notre Dame fans talk about, you know, when they played Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl, like the, the no-win situation. Like, right. it's not quite that. But I, you're not going to... Like if Notre Dame wins its first playoff game and the after losing to Clemson and Alabama and it's Coastal Carolina, I don't think you're going to be like Notre Dame has finally snapped its playoff losing streak. Like now they go to Columbus next week as yeah, fourteen point underdogs. It's just not, it, that's not really going to add up. But it overall, it's I think it's just fun to have something new to talk about with college football because the whole, the whole thing has just felt rather stale, and that's that includes Notre Dame making the playoff twice. Um, because it just it just feels like it's very top heavy, and then also like let's let's be honest, like there is no legislation that is that from Swarbrick, Thompson, Bowlesby, or Sankey that is going to lessen the impact of Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney on the sport. You cannot legislate greatness out. Um, that's 
that's on Lincoln Riley. That's on Brian Kelly. That's on Clay Helton. You know, that's on Steve Sarkeesian now. Dan, Dan Mullen. Like that's that's Jim a coach, coaching. Yeah, uh, he's not working out. Um, that's a problem they need to solve, Kirby. Um, but I do think this just the access and the fact that we're going to have more significant games. Like I, I made this point on a, a radio show I was on the other day. Like if you're Kyle Hamilton this year, say Notre Dame goes to the Peach Bowl. I don't think that's a playoff game this year. But New Year's no. New Year's Six game, you draw Florida. If you're Kyle Hamilton, you're probably like, you know what? I'm good. Um, I'm going to be a top ten pick. I'm I'm going to I'm going to focus on that. If Notre Dame goes to if Notre Dame plays Coastal Carolina in December, three years from now, Kyle Hamilton was here. He'd be like, yes, strap it up, let's go. Um, you know, well, it, look, they're, they're going to be NIL engaged. They're going to be NIL deals that probably have something to do with appearance fees or something of this. So, like, they're going to be, I think, incentives. Yeah. For these guys who actually play in these games, obviously they're going to want them if they're playing for a national championship. Yeah, that's um, the biggest. Forget NIL. Like, that's the biggest thing. I think it it also reengages some players um, that probably have fallen away over the last few years with opt-outs. And I, there's not, I'm not criticizing opt-outs at all. I completely understand it. Um, but I think this, this, this makes – it takes the game that would have been played anyway and it makes it matter and it makes it important and it makes it dramatic. In addition to helping the regular season, so it's there's really just a lot to like. And I, while I understand Notre Dame fans being critical of some of the 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 buy in particular, if you're a college football fan in general, this is this is everything you would want. Our, our friends over at Yahoo on their podcast, Pete Thamel and Dan Wetzel, had said, "Is there a way for since college football is so insistent on keeping the Bulls happy and outsourcing?" their most valuable financial product to a third party can the players essentially unionize or get nil deals that require each of these bowl games to pay them an appearance fee for showing up and playing <laughs> and would that flip this thing on its head and say oh you know what we're actually just gonna play these on campus right now because we don't want to share the money with the players i don't know it's, it was good podcast fodder and got me thinking because no one knows how this nil thing is going to work out um, the one point also, not to harp on the independence, you said it's like great for college football, good for Notre Dame. I'm still torn on whether I really love it or not for them. I think if they join the ACC from a competitive, like you said at the top of the show, they are winners because they now have more access to the playoff as independent. I think if they're in the ACC, they're in this thing every single year because they're going to go 11 and 1 or 12 and 0. Whether they're in the Atlantic or the Coastal, like you're going to lose the Clemson, you're going to beat everyone else like you did last year. And I think a one-loss Notre Dame team with a non-conference schedule every year of USC or Stanford, Navy, and a random rotating opponent. If you go 11-1 and with that, or 12-1, and losing the conference championship game, um, I think you're in it every year as the second-best team in the ACC. That is a good point, and I think you're probably right on that. I mean, I think you're, worst case, you're probably similar to, like, I don't know what, Penn State, Oregon, where... You're you're always worst at worst, sort of nine through twelve, um, which is where ten ten and two is going to land. Um, yeah, that's that would be an interesting point. If if simply making the playoff, would you be enhancing your your chances by joining a conference? I, I think you're probably right. I think the answer is probably yes. Well, and I the other part too. I think Jack Swarbrick brought this up. Like I'm tired of hearing about the thirteenth data point. Like I get it. That's a funny comment, but like. Are you doing this to appease the Twitter trolls, or are you doing it because it puts you in the best possible position to succeed? 
that's another part too where I thought it was really cool that Notre Dame didn't have to play a 13th game and could throw their middle finger up at everyone and say, haha, we're in anyway. And now it's like, see, we're meeting you halfway. We'll see how it plays out. I, I just think the tides are turning a little bit um, in the independence department. Yeah, you, you may be right on that. It's like as much as I think this makes them more independent, you there are you can see some choose your own adventure paths that this could all go down. Where at the end of it, Notre Dame was like, actually, we we'd be better off in the league. Um, hey, that, Dabble ain't gonna be around forever. <laughs> that ACC will be right there for the taking. Yeah, no no doubt about that. Uh, why don't we spin it a little bit towards? Uh, I think when you were gone, I talked to Brian Kelly in person. At a golf outing, which oh, was yeah, the, yeah. the first time we were I was with here, Brian I was here. Kelly. I was in Northwestern that day. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. all right. Yeah, that uh, you know, we t- first sort of commentary on Kane Madden. I talked to him a little bit about the transfer portal. We had some NIL discussion, um, injury updates, uh, and overall, I think the roster is with Kane Madden at that at that point when we talked to him. Caleb Evans was still on the market, the cornerback from Tulsa, who ultimately committed to Missouri, um, which. I think would if you had said when he entered the portal and Notre Dame offered, that would have been a shock destination. But I think over the last week and a half, much less so. Um, Aaron Fletcher, the corners coach who was at Tulsa, moved to Missouri, not only coached Evans at Tulsa, but also recruited him to Tulsa in the first place. Um, a real sort of influential figure in the in the athletic career of a Caleb Evans so I mean but overall I think Notre Dame while corner would have helped if they could have at a all-american level guard and a starting quarterback it's hard to do a lot better in the transfer portal than that two of I think the top 10 players in the athletics rankings of the top 50 transfer portal players this year and yeah playing one the most important position where he's going to start barring disaster another one playing a pretty darn important position of need that eases the anxieties of potentially having to start two freshmen, two true freshmen on the offensive line. Um, it's good. And, you know, it sounds like um, Trevor Mendelson, the new GA on the offensive line, um, he had played at Marshall. Um, he was a graduate assistant at Marshall. He helped this connection with K-Man a little bit. I know a lot of people had pegged him for Florida State. <laughs> I mean, without knowing the kid and his priorities or anything about him, if I'm an offensive lineman and I look at what Florida State's put on the field the last five years and I look at what Notre Dame's put on the field the last five years, it seems like a very easy decision for me. And he is from Ohio, so it's not like this should be a huge like geographical cultural shock, culture shock for him uh, either. But, hey, how about those O-line GAs? Chris Watt last year, Trevor Mendelson this year, um, and they didn't have any in 2019 with the same roster that wasn't really good up front. Big coincidence, huh? Um, yeah. I just think. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's amazing to me that, you know, Trevor Mendelson is probably not a name that Notre Dame fans even know who he is. Um, but the fact that, yeah, he's he's from Ohio, uh, from Dublin, Ohio, Not did not play at the same high school as Brady Quinn, but, um, you know, was a walk-on at Marshall and then sort of stayed on there to coach where he was in charge of recruiting walk-ons. Kane Madden was a walk-on. Um, and so that... I never quite understood what the the entry point when Kane Madden went in the portal. I'm like, how do you bridge the gap between Marshall and Nowhere, Ohio, to Notre Dame? Like, I realize it's one state away, but it might as well be half the country. Um, And lo and behold, they actually had a connection there in Mendelssohn, which I'm told was very instrumental in making that happen. Um, That that was the familiar face that sort of Madden needed to see just to get up here, and then. 
I don't know. Did you see the video of Kane Madden getting out of um, Mike Norvell's like concept car while all the recruiting reporters were there to film it? Like, I think that <laughs> I, I did not. <laughs> it was awkward, awkward, awkward. And I think that Notre Dame did itself a huge favor here by sticking to its guns in recruiting Madden about like, come here. This is what you get. We're not going to treat you like a high school kid and do all the bells and whistle stuff because you're a grown man. And I think Cade Madden really appreciated that, um, opposed to like being put in this awkward position of getting out of Brian Kelly's like concept BMW or whatever the heck it was, and then having somebody from twenty four seven film it. Like it was just, it was super bizarre and awkward. Um, and I think that Notre Dame. It was sort of one of the reasons I was surprised they didn't get a Caleb Evans, like aside from the Aaron Fletcher part, is like Notre Dame, is, it's much more of an adult college football program than a lot of these other places. And if you're a grad transfer, and Brian Kelly sort of references, like if you have your stuff together and know who you are as a, as a man, uh, Notre Dame's probably going to be a little bit more attractive to you. And I think that's one of the reasons why they do so well in the grad transfer market. Yeah. And like, I don't know a Caleb Evans. Um, <clears throat> His recruits seem much more high school-like to me, at least from afar, than it did college-like. I know Notre Dame was in on him early. He had visited there in Texas. He was from Texas. He didn't commit to Texas on the spot. So I think there was a natural inclination of, hey, this is a position of need for Notre Dame. He's going to start immediately. Uh, He's going to stay for two years if all goes well and and have a a nice second act to his career. Uh, But the longer that thing dragged out, then Georgia gets involved. He's tweeting his top five. He's announcing it. Like on Instagram and Jackson I'm, State was one of them. Like it, you know, at the end, it just was. But some, I talked to people from weird. all three. I talked to people from all three staffs a week before he committed from from Texas, Missouri, and Notre Dame, and every single one of them pointed to a different one about where he was going to go. Like the Texas guy thought he was a lock to go to Missouri. Missouri thought he was a lock to go to Notre Dame before Aaron Fletcher got his hands on him. Notre Dame w- w- was kind of up in the air, although they felt pretty good. It was just this weird kind of love triangle. And you look at it, and you're like, this guy is a college graduate, right? It's not like a 17-year-old all over again going through this for the first yeah. time. And I know you probably um, don't get that kind of attention and, and notoriety when you're committing to a, a group of five school like Tulsa as you do when you're going to Texas, Missouri, or Notre Dame, or Georgia, but or Jackson State with Deion Sanders. But um, it was uh, it was different. Uh, is it a position your name could have used help at? Absolutely. Yes. Um, there's another guy in the portal now who they use, who they uh, brought out all the bells and whistles for um, at another position yes. need who I don't think they're going to go after right now, but yeah. that would be interesting, Demetrius Robertson. Um, but yeah, I mean, re- receiver now is the one I look at. Like, I don't, there's no one they're active with in the portal right now, as far as I know, nor will there be, barring any unforeseen entrance in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yet, you had one guy transfer w- within the last week out of Notre Dame. I think they're down to, what, one scholarship receiver on the sophomore and junior classes? Is that Combined, right? Combined, correct. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, It's pretty easy to look at the roster next year and think the most experienced and oldest player will be Xavier Watts, who, if you are not, if you don't know the roster intimately, I mean, he was like their eighth or ninth receiver this year. Um, that's just Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsey, Joe Wilkins, Lawrence Keyes, Avery Davis – probably all out the door after this year. Um, you know, following the Jay Brunel, Jordan Johnson combination, Cam Hart moved to corner, Kendall Abdurrahman moved to running back and then moved to Western Kentucky. Like it's, re- it's been a bizarre um, 
sort of, I think, roster management with Dell Alexander in the receiver room. Can it all be righted in recruiting? Mostly. I mean, they're, they hosted Tobias Merriweather, who's a four-star receiver from, uh, from Washington, but just over the state line from Oregon, so closer to Portland. They feel really good with him. Um, feels like sort of a Notre Dame-Stanford. You know, it's, it's not 2011 anymore. Notre Dame wins the Notre Dame-Stanford battles now. Um, you know, and then C.J. Williams is another big one from uh, modern day in Southern California. He's visiting at the end of the month. Um, that's another one that they, I think they feel pretty good about. Uh, but until they get him on campus, it's hard to know. But the flip side of that is they had a three-star commit and still do named Amorian Walker from really nowhere, Louisiana. It's a small town between Baton Rouge um, in New Orleans that when they took, I think that some eyebrows were raised because I believe he was the lowest rated receiver prospect that had would have signed in the Kelly era. And at the time, Alabama was sort of sniffing around on him. I had heard from Notre Dame, from people around Notre Dame, but I was like, okay, well, if they were, he wouldn't really be a three-star prospect. And lo and behold, just yesterday, he goes to Alabama, runs a 4-4 at their camp, and gets offered and has his picture with Nick Saban. So it's uh, just another step in kind of a weird a weird situation at the receiver position. They, they need more help. Um, that's without question the spot where I think they have to push the envelope furthest fastest because teams that are competing in the playoff have studs on the outside and, and Notre Dame right now does not. I, I think you may have shared this tweet from our colleague Bill Landis who covers Ohio State. Buckeyes have signed, I think, 11 of the top 60 receivers over the last four classes. Is that right? It was so top 60 each class, top 60 players. So it's not the top. So if you're ranked in the top 60 in the 24-7 composite. Gotcha, gotcha. Regardless of position. Um, but Ohio State had signed 11 receivers who ranked in the top 60 nationally, regardless of position. Notre Dame had signed two, I believe. Um, but Jordan Johnson was one of them. So it's it's um, it's a Which is crazy spot. because like they've... <laughs> without having the intimate knowledge of the Buckeyes as I do like Notre Dame or, or some ECC teams, like that was the most underdeveloped position there forever because they had an idiot coach in them named Zach Smith. And it seems like the minute he got out of there, they've just getting, they're getting whoever they want at receiver. Yeah. And they are just lighting it up. Like, it's just, it's incredible how quickly, not that they've ever been bad, but like that's just a remarkable number. And it just seems like, especially now, you know, there are a couple of kids out of Chicago. They just got one. They're probably going to get another in Carnell Tate. Um, like, it just seems like if you're a good Midwest receiver right now, it's almost like second nature. Like they're going to Ohio state. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, and that's, that's problematic. Cause I mean, it's this year, this cycle that's going on right now, there are two top hundred receivers in Chicago, uh, Tyler Morris and Caleb Brown. Um, one's going to Ohio state. One's going to Michigan. And Notre Dame was really not that close on either of them. They're they're more certainly more involved with Carnell Tate. He's visited this month, and I believe is scheduled to visit again. But they they Notre Dame has to figure out a way to sort of change that those dynamics. Where if you're a Midwest top receiver, you go to Ohio State without looking anywhere else. Um, Notre Dame needs to get a look from these players because you shouldn't. You shouldn't have kids from Chicago that you can't get, and then you have to go to nowhere, Louisiana, to find somebody. Um, I, recruiting nationally is a good thing, but you got to have so, a little bit more sway locally, I think, if you're Notre Dame at that position. 
our listenership in Nowhere, Louisiana. Yeah. I know I know a former podcast guest who's from there who probably wouldn't take kindly to you calling it that, but um, I don't know how they're going to feel about this episode, Pete. Uh, yeah, it just is a uh, it's a tricky it's a tricky situation, but it's, it's one that Notre Dame has to get sorted out because like you can't keep writing state of the program stories and then have it be and then they took another grad transfer at receiver or they're really hoping that the senior who has never played has a breakout year. Like you, you cannot live and die with like Javon McKinley stories. Um, you got to have a Justin Ross in there. Hey, you gotta have a Michael Floyd, Golden Tate, Will Fuller in there, Chase Claypool in there at some point. But maybe Claypool was yeah, didn't, didn't click was, for him till the end. He was okay, then he was kind of good, then he was good, then he was amazing. They, you gotta have, you gotta find your Michael Mayer, or Kyle Hamilton receiver. Yes. That's what you gotta do. Somebody who come in and can contribute right away, and then you know as a three year player after his freshman year, because that then you know you're getting two years of a future pro for sure. Um, that that's kind of one of those how does Notre Dame get there from here dynamics that uh, I think Brian Kelly, Tommy Reese, Del Alexander are, are, are trying to figure out how do we solve this because if I, they're to a point now where I, I do think the staff is like, all right, we have to get better on the outside because that's that's where college football is going. Notre Dame can still have its identity in the run game, can still have a great offensive line, can still have a power, power with Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, backs like that, but you got to have at least a, an outlet on the outside. And like, I mean, Brian Kelly even mentioned this when we talked to him in spring. Like, if we can't find a second and third option, you could take Michael Mayer away without without too much effort. Um, at that point, that's that's not a healthy place for Notre Dame to be. Now, next year with that offense line coming back, five tight ends, new offense, got Clemson and Ohio State on the schedule. You might just have to. To truck style everyone from from here to there because it's a bleak picture at receiver right now, but it could definitely change between now and then. Um, for I don't know if you had anything else you want to add. Did want to shout out the baseball team, which had a incredible oh, yeah. run. Absolutely, um, did not see that coming. That was the one program that I thought was really going to be hindered by the ACC um, joining in 2014, and they they had a remarkable year. And Ned Beatty, if I pronounce that right, rest in peace, Rudy, yes. the most beautiful. Sight these eyes have ever seen. The most beautiful quote <laughs> in a beautiful movie. Um, got got to shout him out there. I was yeah. at a family family party, family surprise birthday party for a former Notre Dame uh, track star uh, who turned a round number, and it was a movie night. And of course, the movie on the projector screen was Rudy, <laughs> which I'm sure everyone was in tears with by the end of the night. I did not make it till the end of the night, but yeah. Shout out to Ned Beatty. The, it's the gift that keeps on giving if you're Notre Dame. So, yeah, <laughs> Ned Beatty and definitely the baseball team. That was that was fun to watch. I, I'm not a baseball guy in any stretch of the imagination, but they were a fun team to watch. Um, and, like, that, that home run from Nico last night, I don't know if you got – did you see that? I saw a clip on, on it, I mean, to watch it live, you're just sort of sitting there kind of half paying attention. You're like, holy crap. That <laughs> I mean, it's like um, – Kyle Schwarber with the Cubs from the World Series run a few years ago. Um, that just think was a screamer out of there. So they they were a fun team to watch. It's it was kind of cool watching a Notre Dame sport play on June fourteenth. Um, you know, it's like I always felt like it's a good year. It's a good way to end the academic year when like you know you see lacrosse in the national you know in the, in the final four on Memorial Day weekend. Sometimes it's 
it's cool to sort of see those sports who don't get a lot of pub get it um and baseball certainly got it and deserved it this year i mean link jarrett kind of the coach who did the best job of probably every any notre dame coach this year i mean the that the way he turned that program around and through a pandemic and then in two years is is pretty remarkable i I don't want to dismiss brian kelly he did a pretty good job he also did a great job (laughs) however i mean as you know like Notre Dame baseball, you were saying, like, when they joined the league, it looked like the program might be dead. Notre Dame football, we're talking about, hey, they joined the ACC. It's actually easier if they do. Um, Fair enough. (laughs) So, yeah, Link Jarrett, here's to you. Job well done this year. Uh, I think that's how we'll wrap up this edition of the Shamrock. We'll be back. I don't think we have any vacations planned, so there's not going to be any breaking college football news while uh, over the next few days. (laughs) Well, you're in Mexico, and I'm five miles from Mexico. (laughs) Exactly. So... Uh, we, we'll be back intermittently over the summer, of course. Uh, hopefully, we have some guests lined up. And uh, thanks for being with us on this latest episode. He's Matt. I'm Pete. You've been listening to The Shamrock, brought to you by The Athletic. Mm-hmm.